Hello and welcome to another episode of Permission to Grow. This is a podcast where we explore women's career stories and transitions. We talk about how we can eliminate this idea of who we should be and instead give ourselves permission to grow. Today's guest is Gabrielle and I call her Gabby throughout the episode and she is someone who serves as an advisor to Fortune 500 companies, companies who are domestic or international government agencies and countless humanitarian organizations and we kind of talk about all of the work that she spent really the last decade developing with these type of organizations and what she was working on was really working with the leadership to help understand and prepare for emergencies and disruptive trends on the horizon and that work in that field is so eye-opening to me i just i love to hear what her experience was there. And in addition to this work that Gabby has spent the last 10 years doing, she also recently found herself talking to individuals who wanted to make an impact in their communities, but really didn't have an outlet or avenue to kind of give of themselves in that way. And so she was also running into organizations at the same time who were finding that they were kind of limited in their problem solving capabilities by this lack of creativity that had kind of developed within the organization. And so Gabby launched a way to connect these two groups um, and created a grassroots movement called Rise of the Bulls. And it works to mobilize organizations and creative communities to work together to solving some of the world's greatest challenges, starting right here at home. And in this episode, we talk not only about her career, but also what her experience has been like in the sense that she discovered ways that she needs to trust that things are going to work out in the times when things are scary. And she talks about the importance of being aware of who we are and what we're reflecting to others. And one of the greatest reminders that she kind of talked about was this idea of finding a way to give of yourself in a way that makes you sparkle or gives you energy instead of doing work that tends to drain you or takes too much of yourself. And she has so many ideas and so much goodness to share. I, I, I hope you guys enjoy learning about her career and her journey as much as I did. And here it is. Hi, Gabby. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to, to both have the chance to um, talk to you and share a little bit about what I know and see how that connects with other people. I'm so excited because you are a human that I heard about. I met you through the Yellow Collective, but I heard about you long before that from a lot of the women around me who were just speaking to your incredible grace and the work that you did and everything they said, it was just filled with kindness and selflessness. And so when I started researching what it is you did, I came across this Forbes article that called you one of the most trusted and sought after humanitarian <laughs> aid and disaster response advisors in the world. And I was looking at it, I'm like, you're a woman who has committed over a decade to this arena. And mm-hmm. not only that, but you've also now started the creation of this community called Rise of the Bulls. And so I, I have so many questions of how you created this, because I, looking at your career path, I don't feel like it's something that existed and you just like checked off boxes. Like to me, it's a very well intentional machine and so I, I and I want to see if that projection that I'm <laughs> believing is right <laughs> sure, um, sure. <laughs> but before we get to that I kind of want to I'd like to start at the beginning and when you were growing up like what did you want to be 
Sure. So um, the first thing I ever remember wanting to be um, was Whitney Houston. Like that was, <laughs> you know, like not that I wanted to be like her, but I thought like people could take turns being her. And so when I realized that I was a horrible singer, I thought, okay, what else can I do? And I, I wanted to be an artist for a while. I, I remember as a kid, I had really vivid dreams and I wanted to like draw them and paint them. And turns out I was a horrible artist. <laughs> so like, okay, we got to do something else. And for a really, really long time, I wanted to be an architect. And I really um, love the idea of building things and constructing things and understanding how they um, how things come together. And um, at the end of high school, I had the opportunity to start taking drafting classes, which is like when you think of blueprints, um, that's um, the process where you create blueprints. It's called drafting. And I was going to sign up for it, but a teacher that I had met and gotten really close to said, you know, you can also take classes in this new area called international business. And, you know, you can take one or the other, but you can't do both. And I figured, well, I know that architecture school is really like crazy and intense. And I, I know I'm going to start drafting eventually. So let me just try this international business thing and see if I like it. And it turned out that like I was so, so, so good at um, identifying opportunities and things and um, things related to money. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to study this. And if I don't like it the first semester, um, I'm going to go back to architecture. And as it turns out, um, right after freshman year, uh, Hurricane Katrina hit. And I got involved in, in the response effort um, in coordinating all of my classmates and going down there and volunteering. And that experience just completely, completely not only transformed myself, but shifted my entire professional career. And that's what I've been doing for the last almost 10 years, which is crazy. And that's what I saw. Like when I was looking at it, we were talking beforehand, like that to me felt like a pivotal moment. But how did you even come upon that? Like, how were you put in the position or took step into the position that that was something you were leading 1,500 students to that effort? Yeah. So, so what had happened was, <laughs> so I, the really interesting thing is I went to Howard University, which is a school in DC. And um, it feels like, I can't speak to the actual statistics, but it feels like a, about a third of, a, of the population is international. And it feels like a good third is from the South. Okay. And what's really interesting is that the day that Hurricane Katrina was hitting the Gulf Coast, I remember sitting in class and um, the girl sitting next to me was on the phone and she was talking with her mother and I remember her just getting silent for a moment and then hanging up the phone and she turned to another one of our classmates and she said, my mom, we're from Mississippi and the hurricane just came through and she's telling me she sees bodies floating down the street. And I remember thinking, whoa, I've never heard of anything like that before. I'm really concerned about, you know, what's happening um, in that area, I'm, I'm from earthquake country. I've never been in a hurricane. I need to find out more about what's happening, what's going on. 
And so I connected with a good friend of mine named Peter, um, who was leading uh, the, the college chapter of the NAACP. And we said, we're going to start organizing students. We don't know what we're going to do, but we have to like find a way to get down there. And so we've ended up finding, <laughs> we ended up finding a way to get down there. And through a series of events, we ended up um, being a part of a team that organized over 200 students to go down to basically just show up and be the hands and, and feet of the people responding on the ground. So we were um, gutting homes. We were doing a lot of physical labor. And I remember the first year that, I, that, we, that we did this, um, a lot of the local community members came up to us and they said, um, we're so glad to see you. We, we thought people had forgotten about us. Oh, geez. And that feeling, um, that's, that stayed with me forever. And, and while we were down there again that first year, I remember Mayor Nagan, he was the mayor of New Orleans at the time, and we had a town hall with him. And he said explicitly in that town hall that his priority was not the people, his priority was business. And when he said that, I, I, I made a vow to myself in that moment where if no one is going to be an advocate for this, this kind of community in disasters, I want to learn how to be that advocate. I want to understand how to do this well, whatever this is called. I now know it's called emergency management, it's called emergency response, but I need to understand the mechanics of this and how to do it properly, and more importantly, how to, how to appeal uh, successfully to someone like a Mayor Nagan who is not, who doesn't have a heart for um, his community or his people. And so that's, what I ended up doing, and for the next two years, we ended up um, organizing over, I think, 1,500 or 1,600 students to go down and, and volunteer their spring breaks. By the grace of God, we raised over, I think, over a quarter, million, quarter of a million dollars to support um, those efforts. And um, there's something amazing that happens when you're a part of something greater than yourself. It's, it's very addictive, and there's something in your soul that feels right, like, it was the first time in my life that I felt alignment with my like life purpose. And when you have an experience like that, you let it guide you. And that's what it's done for the, for the past 10 years. That I think that is something people like wish and pray and hope for is that the moment where that feeling like sinks in, like, yes, this is, this is why I'm here. And like, you had that. Did you, know right away like this is a job that I can get paid from like how did you navigate even to like yeah. what to do <laughs> no I so I'm a, I would say that I have a really I am through my life experience I've learned how to be very resourceful hmm. so I didn't know how how to make it um make what I was thinking about a job but I knew that I was scrappy enough to find a way to, to do something. And so I had actually, um, I started to talk to people on the ground who were doing different things and organizing the, the community. And I came to learn about the term community organizer. 
And I actually interviewed to become a trained community organizer, which is crazy. Um, but through a series of events, it didn't work out. And I ended up moving back home. Um, opportunities had fallen through. I was literally emailing people at City Hall in New Orleans saying, use me, <laughs> like, just let me come down and I'll, I'm a new graduate. Didn't work out. And um, so I thought, okay, I need to take a step back and I need to learn the basics. I need to learn how a city runs or a government runs in good times. And if I can learn how that runs in good times, then I can understand maybe how, how to help get a city or a state or the, the nation back on track when things go really, really wrong. So I started interviewing to work at the city of LA and through a series of events, I started working in local government and um, then eventually decided to go back to grad school. And um, yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can go into all the details, but that, those are the big pivots. That's how, that was my thinking at the time. And that feels very, like you, it seems like you're just so informed. Like that was so strategic. I, at a young age, I'm like blown away that you had that. Yeah, I think, well, first, thank you. But I, I, I am thankful that I, and I think a lot of this has to do with my mother. She's so methodical. She's so organized, mm. and her um, just being in such close proximity to her that that helped me. And so the the great thing is that I usually can identify the next step to things. I might not have the whole strategic plan. Rarely do I have a whole strategic plan for everything, but I I um, know. I've learned that if I take the first step, then the next step will appear. And then when I take that step, the next step will appear. And if things feel like they're going crazy and awry, um, I have found that if you just keep moving, you eventually get somewhere new. And how do you, how do you put, how do you not put like pressure on yourself to not know that next step? Like, I think what you're saying is, Yes, like, yes, I want that to be how I function. But sometimes we put so much pressure to know the next step. How do you not let yourself get to that space? Um, I wrestle with that now. I wrestle with that now. Um, what I've learned, especially in the last few years, where so much of my professional trajectory like it's come to a screeching halt and I'm in a huge pivot now. Um, I had, I felt a lot of pressure and I wasn't getting sleep at night and um, probably got like 20 new gray hairs on my head. Um, but I use that, I've used this time to, to really reflect on myself and think that um, my sources of confidence and my sources of validation have been really rocky. Mm. That if I, if I put the pressure on myself to be perfect or to think things out perfectly, um, it's, it's actually speaking to insecurity in myself and it has a lot to do with my pride and my ego. And that's been a really painful lesson to learn. Um, but as I work through that, I've, I do feel less, um, tension in trying to, Trying to figure it out. And also I've learned 
I think if most of us look back on our lives and, and look back on the patterns in our lives, we can see that for, I would imagine all of us, for the times that we were scared and didn't know what to do, um, things always work out. Things always work out. So when I'm feeling nervous and unclear, I just, I do my best. Um, and people around me really help me with that to look back and say, you're good. You're okay. There's a lot of reason to have faith in your life and what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's, that's the hardest part that a lot of us don't maybe take time to reflect on or don't have the tools or resources to reflect on is that a lot of times, like I was always looking that I was like, Oh, if it's the, it's the next job, that's, what's going to like smooth out this Rocky point. And it was really like either insecurities I had within myself or just complete lack of clarity. And I wasn't taking the time to figure it out. And so every move felt disjointed, but it all kind of stemmed from this one place within me. And it sounds like you experienced that kind of tension. I think you put it best as tension. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for a really long time, I would say from college until about 2014, 2015, um, I got a lot of my value and my sense of self-worth in my job. Like, it was my whole identity in what I did, and I knew it, and I was okay with it. Um, and it's really hard, especially if you're doing work that, that impacts people or related to helping people and serving people, um, doing a good job at it, that's, um, that can be really addictive, um, in a bad way, especially if you're not taking care of yourself. So what happened was in 2014, I realized that I was expecting um, my daughter unexpectedly. <laughs> and um, it brought my life to a halt and brought my life to a halt. I was, pl- uh, I was in the middle of, of moving to Kenya, actually, when I found out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And um, it... I had uh, a lot of complications carrying her. And um, after I had her, I found myself without a job and without work to do. And that was the first time that I realized just how much of myself I had put into my productivity. And so um, I've been, you know, I was a mess for like a good two years after having her trying to reconcile that and I still do I I find myself identifying myself with my worth but but thankfully through um, my friends giving me a lot of grace and finding community with people who um, point out the good things in who you are and identify who you are outside of your job um, that's really helped me evolve and, and be a much more healthy person than I was before well I think I mean we've all hit that point where it's like that's, you know, if we talk about all the time on the podcast, like if I don't introduce myself as hi, I'm Kelsey and I do this, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. what like inherent value am I initially bringing to the table? And I think that once we realize that, then it's like, it, we have to tear all that crap down and it doesn't get better overnight. It takes years. And like you having the support of family and friends to remind you like, you are an incredibly kind human. You are an incredibly gracious human. Like you're an incredible mother, like all these things to kind of, does it reset your values or does it just kind of realign? What did you experience? You think? Um, I think it's more like reminding 
myself of who I am. I think that the truth is over the past decade, I, I, I recently realized that I've, I worked really hard to make myself smaller, to make other people feel more comfortable around me. Speaking more quietly, trying to add more bass to my voice, um, not being so excited or enthusiastic about different things. And um, and something, something happened when I had my daughter where um, the amazing thing when you have children is that, especially one that's like your same gender or the same sex, is it really, it's, it forces you to think about what you're reflecting and what you're mirroring to them. Ooh. And um, when I thought about her, she's come into this world and she's like this fire. She is like, I can tell, you just know she was created with a strong sense of self and she is bullish and she is like radiant and she's a gift. And I just, I think I, would, I remember thinking like I would be so hurt for her at some point to think that she would have to make herself less than to make more room for other people. So if I would feel hurt for her for that, why would I do that for myself? And so I'm practicing now coming back to myself, my true self and honoring who I am and um, caring forward work that I really care about, but not attaching so much of my identity. And that's hard. It's very hard. And like, do you find yourself, I want to circle back to like kind of the work you were doing that you did like, were making yourself small, but like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you check in with yourself to make sure that what you're doing is not reverting to habits mm-hmm. that we're probably more comfortable with and instead pushing it into ones where you're trying to grow? It's easier now that I have um, a daughter to do that because I notice when I'm irritable that much faster. So if I'm tired, I get irritable. If I'm um, doing work that is like soul sucking and horrible, I get irritable. Um, If I'm not sleeping, if I'm giving too much of myself to what I'm doing, I get irritable. So I, I, I can catch myself getting um, snappy on the inside. And I, if I'm doing that, it, it, it makes me take a step back and say, okay, what am I not, what am I giving myself to that um, is putting me in a really bad mood? And I can catch it now, especially if, you're, if you let yourself start to do things that, that fill you up and give you like a little, little sense of sparkle when you start to lean towards the things that do the opposite, you feel that that much stronger. And so I, I'm learning right now to structure my day and build my life around, um, around the things that, that bring me, that bring me a sense of like excitement and joy. And I read somewhere, I want to get this quote because you, you talked about, it was in Forbes and you said what, gives you the most joy is knowing that you're part of a bigger wheel that's doing something meaningful in the world. And does that 
feel like something that's still guides you in this kind of pivot you're on now or has it shifted a little bit? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always following that feeling because once you, once you have that, that sense, it's transformative. And, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to do now, part of, of why Rise of the Bulls exists is to help other people feel that very same thing, how powerful it is. I mean, there's, there's, if you can imagine feel, having a moment where, you know, this gift that you have inside of you, however you were created, is matched with a pressing need that will make someone's life drastically better. And you stand in that moment and you can see just how purposeful your, your created self is. It's how do you not want to live in that? How do you not want to do that? And there's so much opportunity to make that happen. And especially in, in these type of times that feel so troublesome and scary. Um, I want to create that. I want to help facilitate that for other people. And I feel like right now that is that creating that for other people is what is creating that for me. Mm. So prior to the present times, that feeling for me was being involved in humanitarian aid and disaster response and, and helping find people in, in emergencies and find people who need help and, and matching them with organizations with the resources to, to provide them what they needed. But now it's, it's shifted and, um, and Rise of the Bulls has been a journey in, in, in matching people's gifts who have been untapped and who have a desire to make big impact and providing an avenue for them to do that in a very real, deeply impactful way. And let's talk about Rise of the Bulls. Like that's, I, that was down further down my path, but like that to me is something that is so front of mind. Even for me, I, we, I went to the Rise of the Bulls event a couple months ago and it, there were so many different voices at the table. And I just was kind of taken aback that it really was, you were just pulling up seats to allow these voices to have a platform to like share their experiences and share their thoughts. And a lot of ours were very different than the person sitting next to us. And I just don't think we put ourselves in those type of situations very often because it can be uncomfortable, but it also has like this like tornado strength that when it's all tied together can create such insane amounts of impact. Like how did you, how did you transition like your mindset from saying, I do this for large communities and disasters, but I want to do it on a community level that could then like spread hugely. Yeah. So that wasn't intentional or planned. Um, what happened after I had my daughter is, um, uh, so leading up to her birth, I was in my dream job. I was, it was, it was just amazing. I, I was working on the kind of projects I had been gunning for and working hard for since my time in New Orleans, um, volunteering in college. 
And I thought right after I had her that I was going to get back into that and, you know, continue down this trajectory. But what ended up happening is um, I felt very strongly God speak to my heart that my work as I had known it was going to be coming to an end. And um, it, it scared me. It was, it was this deep sense in my heart and in my, the very core of my soul, this sense of, of knowing that um, everything that I'd been working for for, t- for 10 years was going to be coming to an end. And so I was praying about it and I was thinking, it was praying, okay, God, tell me, okay, well, tell me what I'm going to do next. And um, I didn't get a clear answer. <laughs> I didn't get a kind of answer. But what I noticed was that my enthusiasm, my love for my for the kind of work I was doing was fading really fast. Scared mm. the crap out of me. And I was wrestling with this um, in uh, 2016, right around the presidential election. And it was actually at this one particular conference that I, f- I felt God um, speak to my heart about with this word. And um, it really messed me up for a good day. And, and um, I was out of town at this conference and um, maybe a day or two later, um, President Trump was elected. And I was wrestling with like, what does that mean for the country? And uh, so I found myself at the Center for Civil and Center for, uh, I think, Civic and Human Rights in Atlanta had just opened. Mm. And I was walking through the halls and um, I was overcome with a lot of sadness. And um, when I was uh, coming towards the, to the end of, of all of the exhibits, um, I ran across this quote of Coretta Scott and she was talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And she was talking about... Um, She's talking about his sacrifice and what that meant and how worthy of a life it is to live, to give all of yourself to everything. And it made me think about my time in New Orleans and and how I felt that feeling then. And it dawned on me, something about being in in that museum reminded me that I was a community organizer. And it was like this moment in my soul remembering that I, I used to be a community organizer at Howard, but I, I, I could do it. And um, I felt, I prayed in that moment. I said, okay, God, if I'm a community organizer and you're reminding me that I am, then what community am I supposed to be? And um, so Rise of the Bulls has come about because uh, I've noticed that a lot of the decision makers and executives that I've worked with in the humanitarian world and the philanthropic world and in the government world, they're looking for new inspiration and new insights on how to do what they do, how to reach, um, how to reach the, the humans that are, that are in their care, that are in their stewardship. 
how do we solve these really hard problems that we've been trying to crack for the last three, four decades, but haven't really moved the needle on? How do we examine if we're doing what we're doing really well? Are there new problems, problems that we should be solving? And so they're looking for, for thought leadership and, and, and partnership on how to, how to navigate through that and how to think differently and, and um, how to solve problems, problems in new and novel ways, but they don't, from my perspective, they don't really know where to turn. And um, what I found in, in the time that I was working at Disney a few years back is that creatives and those who are create, creative-minded, um, they're, they're an amazing source of inspiration in that they think differently than the rest of us do. They hear things that the rest of us don't hear. They're tapped into their emotional intelligence in a way that a lot of us in government and the private sector um, have conditioned ourselves out of. And so I think if we, the, the, the premise of Rise of the Bulls is, is if we can bring these, this community together of people who have been encouraged and trained to let themselves think creatively and imaginatively, to people who need creative and imaginative inspiration, incredible, incredible things can happen. And so we've been testing that out with Rise Bulls with really fun, amazing results. And so I'm all about now and this year and beyond seeing how can we grow that? How can we get more people involved? How can we illuminate and, and help decision makers throughout all industries um, um, really take advantage of untapped American and global citizens who are gifted and feel a call to make an impact in the world and have no avenue to do that yet. Um, so that's what I'm trying to figure out. Yes. Well, and I think that's the hugest thing that I saw at the meeting that you hosted was that everyone there wanted to do something. It was just, and they all brought like this very unique skill set to the table and had no real outlet to test the waters or to see how they could help in any way. And so like, how do you like absorb that knowledge and take that back to the government or a company who's looking to solve a problem? Like how does that conversation get facilitated, I guess? Yeah. So how this works is, um, I, I utilize my years working in government and working in the nonprofit world to understand what kind of pitch or sell needs to be made to open that door and to have people be open to new ideas. And I learned that in, uh, in grad school, but I also learned it just, just by working in these different kinds of environments. So I lean a lot on my network to say, this is what I'm trying to do. This is how I think it would be beneficial to you and your organization. Let's, this is an experiment. Let's try it. You have nothing to lose and uh, you have really everything to gain. And um, for some, it's, it's been really appealing. For some, they're a little more um, nervous about it. Um, but I've also been on this um, this journey to start speaking at conferences to speak to different leaders of government in, in different areas and start to evangelize the message of 
you need, you need to start tapping on creative. One, you need to start tapping on creative communities to help you solve your hardest challenges. And two, you need to start, start cultivating creativity and imagination within your own organizations, in your own agencies to help you really uh, confront what's coming in the world. Cause it's, it's a little nasty, but there's a lot of opportunity to do incredible Yes. And I feel, I mean, I worked briefly in nonprofits and some government work, and I feel like there can sometimes be um, such strong systems in place that the creativity is completely lost. And it's like you said, our brains just aren't, when we're in those roles, they're not necessarily trained to think of creative solutions. It's very much like what is in line with our existing policies and procedures. And so I think it's just eye opening to bring these creative voices to the table because it's not that anything they're presenting is earth shattering or unheard of, but it's a like refreshing way to address a problem that maybe in the nonprofit sector we've been trying to solve for 20 years and have maybe just been putting like a bandaid on it or, mm-hmm. and like, what, what is your like hope? How does, how, how do you measure or do you want to measure like if these conversations are successful on the actual impact we're seeing in the community? That's a good, that's a good question. Like what, how do you measure, how do I measure success? How do I measure impact? And the short answer of of that is I don't have a measurement yet. I'm still in the the phase of proving out the idea and and showing that there's value. Mm. Um, And the impact that I see so far is a feeling that I see other people having when they're having these discussions with one another. And it's not so much a, a metric yet that I can define. So for example, one of the things, so right now this week I'm in San Diego um, for a, a FEMA meeting and um, I sit on their national advisory council and so what I did uh, a few months back is I had people from the creative community come and talk to other council members to help them think of new ways to solve some really hard challenges. And um, or one particular area of a challenge that I think um, agency and, and industry overall has a hard time overcoming. And when I tell you, I could just sense like the light bulbs going off and the excitement and the revelation of like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Or sometimes it's not even, oh, I've never thought about that, but you just affirmed something in me that I thought but couldn't communicate before. Um, that moment happened. And I've seen that happen before um, in a right the bull setting. And so when I see that, that's a, it's like a, I think of like, you know that that music video with Michael Jackson and Billie Jean and he's stepping on, I think it might be Billie Jean. But at the end of the music video, he's walking on these like on this path and everywhere his like step, everywhere he makes a step like this lights up. It yes. like, goes up. That's how I feel in those moments where I don't know where exactly where I'm going with this, but something is happening. Something is happening that hasn't happened before, and I need to keep, we need to keep following this. There's something incredible happening here. Um, 
So that's a very long answer. I'm giving you long answers to everything, but, but all of that to say there's some gold here and I keep, and I'm choosing to keep digging. Um, but I don't know what the end payload is and I'm, I'm not too rushed to find out either. And I, I like that your answers are long because everything you're saying, I am like absorbing times 10 <laughs> because I just, I, I am just really, really, really excited about the work that you're doing because, and when you phrase it in that way that you're, I'm just picturing like the little steps lighting up as you walk. I just think that's the most beautiful visual because it's like, you're allowing yourself to just keep moving forward, even though you don't know the end result. And I think that is arguably one of the most terrifying things in the world. Yeah. It's scary. It's totally scary. But you have to, I think when you're, when you have a feeling in your soul of, man, this feels good, this feels right, you have to, you just, you have to keep going. And that's not to say I don't have moments where I'm crying and freaked out. I do. I have them all the time. And I could, I could point to all of my different friends who have let me just completely fall apart over this last year to make it through because it is scary. And again, I've, I've put a lot of my value in perfection and productivity over the last 10 years. And I don't have any of that now, but the, the gift of, of being forced to do this scary thing every day and being forced to do the scary thing on a weekly basis, monthly basis is that um, you start to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable and you, you begin to become forced to put your validation and sense of worth and sense of self in, in other things. Because if you don't, you're just going to, you're just going to crumble. And at some point I had to say to myself, I can't, I can't, I can't just, my, my hair can't take any more grays. Like I <laughs> need to figure it out. And it, it, it also takes a lot of prayer and it also takes if I can add, um, really being open with a few trusted friends to say, I am really struggling here. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's, and it's tearing me up on the inside. Um, and having those friends to just speak life into who you are and remind you of who you are. And, and the, and what I appreciate that is, is this experience has taught me, this journey with Rise of the Bulls has taught me so much about friendship, um, both being able to receive other people's support, which has been really hard, um, but it's taught me so much about how I can be supportive and a friend to other people. And so that is, um, that's a gift and a lesson as well. And I think that's something, honestly, most of us spend our entire life trying to like navigate is one, I think we're all just in a constant state of trying to make the next step. I don't even know if we're trying to figure it out. It's just trying to make the next step, but having supportive humans is invaluable. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting older that I now see it, but it's just like, there are so many incredible people who believe in me on days when I'm like, I don't think I can successfully take out the trash today. Like I, we just need that type of conversation. And how do you, cause I, coming from someone who is, was 
pretty type A was a pretty strong perfectionist. Like I understand the accepting of like quote unquote help or support is very difficult. Like how did you eventually allow yourself to let that, let that in? Oh, um, so I still, there's a lot of tension with that with me even to this day. There are things that I'd really need help on, but um, I haven't asked for. But I think um, what's helped me in the last year start to lean more into that and start to be more comfortable with that is really, really seeing what happens when I don't ask for help and um, I come out the other end of a task or workshop or event and I'm just completely wiped. And again, being, being a mom, this, I mean, this would be a totally different conversation if it was just my husband and myself or my partner and myself. And I could just like curl up in bed for a day and just like recoup. Right. Um, It still wouldn't be healthy. (laughs) It wouldn't, but I, it, the destruction would be just in myself. Right. What I've noticed is that when I don't ask for help, I become completely depleted. I give all of myself and then there's nothing left to give my daughter. And I see that, I, I see, I sense um, the change in, in interaction between her and myself. And I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. And so a lot of times, I think maybe this is just being a woman or just being a mother, but it's almost for her, for the sake of her and my own sanity that I've started to let myself um, say, hey, I need support here. I really need you to be present. I really need for you to show up for me in this way. And, you know, let me know how on the back end I can support you and be there for you. But I've learned it's such a huge pride thing and I don't know where it came from. I um, I think growing up, I really admired women especially in my family who I saw doing it all and taking care of it all. And that was a signal of strength to me. Um, but now being turning, I turn 32 tomorrow. Um, Happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've, I thankfully have started to question that, you know, I don't have to, to do it all and be it all. I just don't have, I just don't have the capacity for it. Um, I just don't, I don't. And my, my daughter needs, my daughter just needs for me to be my best self for her. So I try, I try to do that for her. And I think that's honestly like you and I are the same age. And I think that, I don't know if it was something of our generation or what, but it was like my family, there was always, my mom worked full time, but there was still a full meal on the table every night at dinner. Mm -hmm everyone always with like a smile on their face. Like I didn't really see a lot of stressed out things. And I am here, like, I don't have kids. I don't have pets. And there are days where I'm like, if I had a child or someone watching me, they would be like, what is wrong with that woman? Cause she is, you know, it's cause it's life, life happens. And I just don't think I, w- I wasn't raised seeing all the struggle that humans go through and how to like deal with it in a way where, like self-care is kind of front of mind 
And I like, think it's new. I think it's new for yeah. generation. I don't, I don't hear, I didn't hear vulnerability and self-care and any of that coming up. And, and, you know, to kind of be honest and, and transparent, I think, I think to, to have the ability to take care of yourself, the, to have the ability to, to rest, to have the ability to change your mind about what you do for a living and to change how you operate and change your daily schedule is a privilege. It's a privilege that a lot of people in this world and this nation do not have. Um, I don't think it's a, I don't think the women or the, the members of my family and the generations before me had the space for that. Um, in that now, um, I think there is something happening with our generation, with the millennials, where we're saying, A, I think we're, we're overworking ourselves. We're in environments that are actually inhumane and counterproductive to how we operate as humans. And so we're burning out. And so this conversation has, uh, about self-care has come out of necessity. This conversation about vulnerability has come out, out of necessity because I think a lot of us are really withering on the inside. And um, I think that I think we've been trying to find a way to, to reconnect with ourselves and, and to be our healthiest selves. And we're all just trying to figure out how to do that. And I hope for the generation after they're, they're learning and, and they can do even an even better job than, than what we're doing now. And, and what I, I want to share one story if I can. Please. Um, so about, about five years ago, almost six years ago, I was walking up a mountain and, um, I was going on a hike and when I came back down, um, I couldn't walk anymore. My legs had completely given out on me and, um, I didn't understand what was going on, but for the next five years, five or six years, my legs would start to just, I could, they would stop working. I, um, and I didn't understand why. And I went through a, a whole series of, of tests to figure out what was going on. And there was like no, no answer to it. Thankfully this year, we figured out what was going on and I've, and I've gone through treatment to get it better. And um, I went to face my fear a couple of months ago and I went back up the same mountain. And I made it up and, you know, I'm crying when I get to the top. I've made it. I've conquered, you know, this thing that I was so scared of. And I tell you, when I started to go back down, I came to a fork in the road in this mountain. And I could either take the easy way down, but I, I couldn't say for sure if I was going to get to my destination. Or I could take the hard way down. I knew for sure that I was going to I was going to get back down to this car parking lot. And so me being myself, I said, I'm going to take the hard way down. So I ended up um, getting about halfway down. And um, I realized I made the wrong decision. I made the wrong decision. I was actually approaching a cliff that I didn't see. And I uh, ended up having to climb this very steep, part of the mountain back up just to get back to the fork in the road so I can make it down. And I completely stressed my body um, and, and set myself back in my 
treatment a little bit. And when I talked to my doctor about it, he said, how is this reflective of your life in general? And what I realized was that um, for a lot of decisions that I've made previously, um, I've chosen the hard path not thinking about what it would cost me in the end. Mm. And I've given so much of myself to different things and to different projects and I've gone full force and I reached my destination and I got there figuratively bruised and strained and my body all out of sorts. And um, I've tried to take that lesson. I'm taking that lesson now from that mountain that I, that I had that experience on a couple months ago to think about, you know, it's okay to take the easy path sometimes, maybe more times, maybe most times easy going with what comes naturally to you or easiest to you. Um, it's okay. It's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with not doing the hard thing every time. And so I, I've learned that to, especially when I'm tempted to stay up late to work on things or power through things that I know are just like sucking the life out of me. Um, I think about what is it going to cost me in the end? Is it going to cost me more than I'm actually really willing to give? And I've started to say no to a lot more things because of it. Oh, and I like, I like that you changed from easy to what comes natural to, because I think easy implies that there's not a lot of like work, but like doing what comes naturally natural to you. It's like battles that you're willing to push through because it feels like it's the right thing. It's still a crap ton of work, but like your body's not just like trying to survive because you've now depleted everything that's on your insides. Like, mm -hmm. and that's what I think, that's what I picture rise of the bulls being is it's this, it's this entity that like, to me, if I was running, it might deplete me. I have no idea. But for you, there's something about it that gives you energy and that like it gets that for me, it looks like, and sounds like that it is getting closer and closer to that alignment of your purpose. Like, do you, do you feel like you have a clear idea now of your why or your purpose of the work that you're mm -hmm. doing? No, no. And for the first time in my life, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. If you had met me at 20 years old, at 15 years old, at, a, at nine years old, I was the person that had a very clear understanding of myself and what I was going to do. And this is the first time in my life where I don't. Um, but I was telling a good friend of mine, Amy, when I just started Rise of the Bulls, and um, I said, I'm wandering, but I'm not lost. I'm not lost. And I feel like with this project in particular, I don't know how much of my destiny is wrapped up in it. I don't know how long it'll go and where it will go if I'll hand it off to someone at some point. I have no idea. Um, but I, I, I believe that if you go with the ideas and, and the, the moments of confirmation that God will give you in your heart, there's provision in that. So I, I trust that in this moment, while I don't know the, the full path of, ahead, I trust that if I just keep taking one step and then the other, there, there, there will be provision for me 
Um, so yeah. Oh, and like if you're thinking about the next six months or the next year or the next three years, you mentioned that you were doing some public speaking. Is there other things on the horizon that you're getting energized by that ways that you're working to connect in the community outside of rise of the bulls? Are you, I, I would say when I think about the next six months, I think that's probably all I can see. That's as far as I can see. What I'm working on now for Rise of the Bulls is related to um, empathy and cultivating empathy and, um, and, th- and things related to, to working on our, on our inner self as a community. Um, and I don't know exactly how to do it or where it's going to go. But I think it's really important and there's, there's something um, happening in our country and I think the world, but particularly in our nation, where there's a lot of inner work that we have to do, especially for those of us who want to be on the front lines of issues and topics that are very controversial and confrontational. Um, and, and we need some guidance on how to do that and how do we talk to one another? How do we talk to people we're in conflict, conflict with? How do we wrestle with ideas and concepts and, and partner with people we don't exactly agree with to achieve true common goals and common interests. Um, I don't see a lot of work and resources available in that area. And so I want, I want Rise of the Bulls to be a platform and a vehicle to enable that on a nationwide scale. And I feel like if we can get ourselves right as a community, then we can go out and do the kind of impactful collaborative work that is the true vision of, of this community. Um, so I've been reaching out to, to different people who are specialists in empathy, who are specialists in, in conflict resolution. Um, and um, I'm working on, on, developing and, and ideating programming um, related to that. And, you know, I'm, I'm open to feedback and partnership from those who are listening to this, who want to help with that and be involved and, and build that out. Um, but that that's on the menu. And then whatever comes after that is, is what grows out of that. And that like, if people are listening and they're like, yes, like I may not know what I have to give, but I, want at the very least to give my time and my energy like how do they how do they get involved with rise of the bulls what do you need from the community right so i would say come to rise of the bulls.com sign up for our our e-newsletter um it should pop up on the screen when you're there there's a page uh called join in enter your your information on the form and um i'll keep you updated as as we um, as, as Rise of the Bulls um, gets ramped up for the last half of the year, I'm in the middle right now of um, transitioning our website to speak to the new to to the enhanced vision of what we want to do and what we intend to do for the last six months of 2018. Um, and I just want I want your enthusiasm, I want your voice, I want you to to follow us on on Instagram at Rise of the Bulls. 
in your presence, you're just saying, I'm here, I'm willing, um, is encouragement to me to keep going. So come join us, come follow us, and, and let's get involved. Let's, let's, let's collaborate, with, collaborate with each other to do some really incredible things. Yes, and I, like I said, like the space that you created at the event I went to, it was just the most welcoming, collaborative space. And it was just, I felt an energy excited to like be a part of the conversation. Like I just, I think there's some really amazing things brewing. And so we'll definitely put all of the information on the website so you guys can connect with her there. And Gabby, I'm just thinking like, as we kind of close, is there anything from your decade of experience, like on the front lines to all of your work and like personal work, introspective work that you've done, is there anything that you would want either like your 18 year old self to know or listeners now who are maybe in that tough spot of rebuilding their mm -hmm. identity? Like, is there anything that you would want them to know? Yes. Um, there's something really special about this time. Um, not about just your age and, and what you know and what you've learned, but there's something unique happening in our country where um, both the kinds of destructive and divisive behavior seems to be on the rise, but there's also, I, I sense it and I see it, there's a whole generation of people who are rising up and waking up and saying, there's like this, this pressing on your heart, is it pressing on people's hearts saying, I need to do more, I want to do more, I need to give of myself. And I just wanna encourage people to, to listen in, to that and to lean into that because it's needed and it's required. A lot of my work for the last five years in particular has been looking at the future and doing um, foresight studies. So understanding what's on the horizon for the world and our nation and, and the kind of challenges that are that we're going to be experiencing in the next few years. And when I tell you this is going to require all of us pitching in and applying our gifts and applying our minds and really holding hands with one another um, to, to move forward and to really tackle the kinds of immense challenges that are coming our way, that's really true. And I think there's, there's something happening, happening spiritually where it's like speaking to our souls, like we have to, we have to do something. And it, that's not by accident. That's, I believe that's truly intentional. So I encourage you if, if you're out there and you feel that way, don't ignore it. Don't turn it down. Don't, don't dull it out. Um, there's a reason for it. We need you speaking on behalf of government, speaking on behalf of nonprofit, those in the humanitarian world. We need you, we're trying to find you. We need, we're gonna do some incredible things together, but you just gotta let yourself hurt a little bit. You gotta let yourself want to make a difference. Gabby, I, I just, yes, yes. I just, I feel like you give permission to people to kind of trust themselves and believe in themselves and be willing to tune into whatever is circulating in them right now. And so I, 
I am beyond appreciative that you're willing to share your story. I know it's late. You are probably prepping for big meetings the rest of the week. And so I am, I am so gracious for your time and for your story and your willingness to share the tough things we're all going through and maybe don't have someone to confide in. We can hear it within you and feel comfort in your story. And so I'm, I'm just very appreciative that you are here tonight. Thank you. This is so great. And I wish you a great evening. And I am I'm just thankful for the, for the gift to be able to, to share time with you today. So thank you. And thank all of you guys for listening on this week's episode for Permission to Grow.